0: From PHX.FM, this is Conversation with the Rabbi, featuring open, honest dialogue and sometimes unconventional perspectives on the world we all share. Welcome to another Conversation with the Rabbi. I'm Adrian McIntyre. This show is hosted by Rabbi Michael Beo, CEO of the East Valley Jewish Community Center. It's always a pleasure, Rabbi. Good morning. How are you? Good morning, Adrian.
1: Good to be here again with you for another Conversation with the Rabbi.
0: Well, this is going to be a especially interesting one because our featured guest today is Carolyn Benger. And you know Carolyn very well. You live together. You're married. Yes. And uh, the topic... That's the rumor in town that we're married. That's what they say. I hear it on all the social networks. But uh, Carolyn is not only a consultant. She's the principal of KB Enterprise, a consulting firm here in Phoenix. She works with nonprofit organizations specializing in social justice. She's also a deeply committed student of Judaism, a practitioner in a variety of ways. And we're going to talk about some things that are not controversial and maybe some things that are. Carolyn, so good to have you. Welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It's really a pleasure to be here.
0: Now, I, as an outsider, so my role in this whole thing is I'm the curious anthropologist in the corner who gets to participate in these conversations. I was struck First of all, Carolyn, by your self-identification, when you submitted your information form and all the things we typically make guests do, you not only mentioned your professional work, you gave yourself a title as wife of a rabbi. Can you speak a little bit about that as a a part of your identity?
2: Yes, this is a tough one for me because I abhor the title Rebbitson and I usually reject it. Um. A rabbitson meaning basically, I'm married to a rabbi, and the reason that I abhor it and reject it is is twofold. First, because
1: I haven't she can't stand me, so that's so well, that was number five. one. But
2: the, the first is that it's not something that I earned on my own. Um, I, you know, any we could get divorced and he could marry someone tomorrow and she'd have that title. It, it's not mine, um, so I I really dis- dislike it. And, and second, because in my mind, a Rebitson is really, I think back to Rebitsons in other communities. I'm thinking of one in particular and, and they teach and they care for their community and they're really, you know, they carry on their shoulders the burden of their community members. And, um, but I put it on this podcast because I, I figured to some extent I do the second one and for the sake of this conversation about prayer, I felt it was it was appropriate to have. In general, I don't go by the term "Rabbitson," So I'm good either way. <laughs> it or leave it.
1: So this is one of the areas where Carolyn and I disagree. I think that uh, I understand her reluctance to use the title "Rabbitson" for the first reason, meaning it's a title that she's not used. And I understand her pride in her own achievements. Um but I, I disagree with her because I th- on the second part, because I think that uh, she has more than earned her title rebbitson because of everything that she does uh, for the community more than uh, 99% of other rebbitsons in the world. So I think that she did earn that part of the title.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting to me, and I, and I know we have some Really important stuff to talk about with regard to spiritual practice, a project you two are working on together. But I think that this is is an interesting line of conversation. And I'll just share a little piece of my own experience. I was raised in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, which is a Protestant Christian denomination. And uh, this is a tradition that historically has not given uh, pastoral titles to women and has, um, in fact, uh, openly rejected attempts to ordain women into that ministry. Uh, It's also a tradition in which there were designated roles for the church ladies, let's call them, uh, as well as for the the wives, always wives, of the pastoral staff. And so what you're saying to me, even though I am not uh, familiar with the Jewish tradition, is a form of practice, rooted in a patriarchal tradition, which I think many people today are trying to find their way uh, with relationship to. I know in my own community, which I don't actively participate in, but I'm still very connected to through my parents and my upbringing and whatnot, there are many folks who, without throwing away the proverbial baby with the bathwater, are trying to find ways to respectfully move their institutions, because let's be clear, we're talking about human Organizations and institutions in the way that they're structured and so on roles are assigned. This is what Max Weber classically called bureaucracy, trying to move these institutions in more inclusive directions. Carolyn, that's something both with specifically with regard to women, but also with regard to many other axes of difference. You're actively involved in. Can you talk a little bit about those commitments?
2: Yes, absolutely. And I'm so glad you brought this up. As you're talking, you know, people listening can't see that I'm like nodding vigorously. Um, you know, Seventh-day Adventist, uh, the Church of Latter-day Saints, I believe the Southern Baptists, they all are facing, everyone is facing these challenges in in modern times. How do we maintain true to our tradition, our core, while simultaneously adapting and, and recognizing that there needs to be more space for inclusivity. We need to allow women to express their faith. We need to allow, uh, and, and for those who are more liberal leaning, we need to, you know, what do we do with the topic of homosexuality in this space? Um, there's a whole disabled community that in many ways, in terms of how ritual practice is conducted, uh, might feel excluded and they need to, to find a way to be included. And, um, I really think just speaking on behalf of women and, and and as someone who identifies as a feminist, I firmly believe that the most interesting feminist work is being handled right now. The front lines are in religious communities, are, are among women of faith. and And we're seeing these questions getting played out, not just in the Jewish world, in all worlds, because society is changing and institutions need to figure out how do we, how do we manage this? Um, in, in Yeshiva Maharat, where, where I learn, um, I learn each morning a few, about four hours a day, uh, before I start my work. Uh, there, they devoted, they devoted, um, a couple of days to disability inclusion and to have a full discussion on, on how do we as a community do better? How can we include? And it's, it's very interesting because What I took away from that, you know, obviously there's logistical issues, you know, the size of the bathroom to accommodate wheelchair use, uh, accessibility issues of, of ramps, um, so on and so forth. But, but more than any of that, these are the, these are the non-important things. You know, everyone jumps to them. Well, we don't have the money to do this. None of that really is the real issue. The real overarching issue is the attitude. And, and you have to ask, do we want to be inclusive or not? And I think in some communities, when it comes to certain issues, it's a clear yes. And other issues, it's a clear no. And there are many issues where there's a very murky gray. And, and if I may, I'll give one example. Um, when we lived in Atlanta, I, I was attending a synagogue uh, that I went to in one Shabbat. They they had a synagogue. It was like a day of inclusion, and they wanted to highlight families who are managing having differently abled um, uh, members of their family, and and I understand the point was to be inclusive, and I walked away feeling incredibly offended. Um, uh, first, because it felt like it was a parade. It was almost pornographic, and in, in how. Anyone with a disability, well, excuse me, not anyone, and I'll clarify, but those with a disability were, that was the day they were given certain honors in synagogue. Well, why aren't they given them all the time? Why just this one day? And what was really upsetting for me is I remember very clearly um, these differently abled men and boys, 13, being offered certain honors some of which there's really no alachic, no Jewish law reason why a woman can't. And I remember in the women's section, because we have a you know segregated seating in in Orthodox communities, in the women's section, the front row was filled with women who also have a disability and they couldn't participate. And I had this weird moment, and this is, I don't mean this to sound the way that it might on its surface sound, but I, I walked away from synagogue that day so offended, both because of what I understand as the lack of inclusivity the rest of the year, but also that my disability, being a woman, is even more than this other disability.
0: Rabbi, you and I have talked on a number of occasions, offline and online, on the show and off the record, about the fact that the rabbinical tradition that you are so... Uh, profoundly connected to through your training, uh, th- through y- your experience, uh, is also a tradition that is so multifaceted and has had to respond over the generations to so many changes in the world around uh, the, the leadership of the Jewish community. Before we steer the topic to prayer, which may be something that at some level we should all be able to agree on. Uh, What are your thoughts about how to navigate the complex demands of our time, some of the claims being posed by different segments of the community that you lead and serve? This is not a simple thing Uh, to maintain a connection, a commitment to the core of your tradition, and at the same time to acknowledge that there are now claims and and, and, and demands and conversations that were never addressed before and now they're being
1: addressed. What are your thoughts? This is a very complex topic. It's a Pandora box topic. It's one of those topics that uh, you need to deal with, especially when you are a leader in a community you have to deal with, but you wish that you don't have to. There, there is a tension. There is a constant tension between, uh, I think in any tradition, whether it is political, religious, uh, cultural, but I'll speak specifically for Judaism. There is an inherent tension between maintaining the tradition as my great-great-great-great-fathers did, whether that is the truth, or whether it is a myth. And the reasons are clear, because by claiming to behave and do and believe exactly like my ancestors did, gives a level of legitimacy to what I do or believe, etc. And then at the same time, for those who have studied Jewish religion, Jewish history, and more importantly, the development of Jewish law. It is undeniable that the Jewish law has been adapting itself throughout the times and generations uh, in various multifaceted ways. And so then the question becomes then, how do you reconcile these two points? Maintaining tradition, like, you know, fiddler on the roof tradition, or changing because you need to adapt to changing times, changing socio-cultural, historical developments that are happening, and therefore make religion more relevant or relevant again. And at the same time, there is also the question of if we're going to do changes, what is the proper process for changes? So there are two questions here. One is the theological, philosophical question: whether there should be changes. And the other is a tactical question of if we are gonna do changes, what is the proper process? I'll give an analogy. In the United States, the Supreme Court said that uh, marriage, gay marriages are legal. It took many years of processes through various lower courts until the case goes to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court gives their opinion, their legal opinion that then is becomes sort, sort of accepted. There is a certain process that needs to be followed. And if you do not follow that process, the entire uh, conversation may lose its, uh, its founding, its, 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 its footings. So those are two different uh, topics that need to be discussed. I agree. And I would also add from
0: my own personal point of view that activists, reformers, those are not the same thing, have always had to grapple with questions related to the established power structure, whether it's in civil rights and or social justice movements, the the question remains an open question, at least for some. What do you do when the power structure that has created the quote-unquote legitimate avenues for redress may itself be tainted by the very thing one's trying to, to address? So- you
1: are raising a wonderful question if we were talking about a social movement, a political question. Here we're talking about the legitimacy of change within the system that those who want to change want to maintain the system. Meaning, if I come now and I say, I want to make changes, I don't care whether the majority or minority of legal scholars in this field in Judaism agree or disagree with my opinion. I'm going to create a new category, a new denomination, because I don't care whether or not I maintain the structure that's open to anybody to do. Anybody can come up tomorrow and claim that they are Jewish and that their form of Judaism is legitimate.
2: I think you're both saying in a way the same thing. If if I can just tweak a little bit. So first of all, I would say that those reformers advocating for, for change within the system, I would say it is a social movement. Uh, just because they're not looking to upend, uproot the system doesn't mean it's not. It is a social movement. Um but that's there, why it's there not is, legitimate. There is, there is a there is always a tension in, among activists between those who, you know, the, the, who are in the street and want to want to protest and those who are you know trying to affect policy change. But within the realm of the orthodox system, I think you also find these two tensions. You find the ones who, as Michael said, pro- might not care and say, OK, we'll start a new thing. And you have that. And you also have those who do care very much and want to find a systemic way, a systemic justification for the change. The issue that I would argue, um, that we're facing is because those in power are currently not addressing these issues in a systemic way. The issues are becoming addressed, um, I, I would say Bidivadd, they're like after the fact um, it's coming out think um, you know grass at the grassroots level, people and groups are are doing things that later it may get decided are outside or inside where those lines are, but it's but the people in charge are not making the decisions.
1: Caroline, I don't disagree with what you just described, but what I was making the point, is even before we get to here. You're describing what happ- what's happening on the ground. I was discussing the step before it. I understand. Whether there is or there is no an legitimacy and, 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 and different people will have different opinions. So, for example, the... Overwhelming majority of institutions that are orthodox, that self-define themselves as orthodox, and that are recognized by the others as being orthodox, the overwhelming majority of these institutions don't want change. There is, uh, for better or for worse, orthodoxy, In Judaism, which is a movement that started about 250 years ago as a counter reaction to Reform Judaism, has become entrenched in not wanting to change.
0: Can we talk about this for a minute? Because I would like to address or have you actually address some of the uh, perceptions that might be misunderstandings, that might be stereotypes, I don't know, about. Kind of the different spectrums in which one finds oneself. So we have the established Jewish denominations, some of which are labeled in particular ways by insiders and by outsiders that people might not agree with. We also have other spectrums that are be commonly being discussed. Let's say from conservative uh, uh, to 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 liberal to progressive, even and, and and obviously these different. There's many other layers too. These things don't always line up in neat ways. So my question on this issue of Orthodox Judaism and what you're describing as a conservative orientation, in other words, preserving tradition. So we're using the very generic sense of the word conservative here. Yes. Also seems to have within it expressions that would be uh, uh, what, what we would call progressive, uh, Carolyn, it sounds to me as if you're speaking from a progressive and yet committed Orthodox point of view. I may be completely off base on this, but can you, Carolyn, please just kind of address how you see some of these axes of difference? And then, Rabbi, I'd love to hear your response uh, on this as well.
2: Uh, this is a tough one because it's so labels, labels. Um, For sure. So Orthodoxy, as 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 my husband said, um, it pretty much emerged. Like 200 years ago, and it, it re- emerged in reaction to, uh, Reform Judaism. You know, prior to Reform Judaism, we were all just Jews and we followed the laws. Uh, Reform Judaism emerged, and that's its own story I won't go into. And, and Orthodoxy really emerged as a reactive anti-that, anti-reform movement, um, kind of doubling down on we don't want change. And for better or for worse, over the course of the years, in the face of some very serious, um, and, uh, identity challenges, um, the women's movement, Israel, Holocaust, everything, uh, orthodoxy has really struggled very hard in the face of rapid societal change to stay the same. And, and, um, within orthodoxy, there are many different labels that can be applied for how one identifies themselves within, uh, on one end, you have what, what in America we call ultra orthodoxy to the far end, which sometimes is called open orthodoxy that many, many within orthodoxy itself would argue open orthodox open orthodox isn't even orthodox um those like myself i call myself modern orthodox um and this is seen as left of center ultra orthodox is seen as right of center the problem being in my opinion over the years we have lost what is the center And it seems to me that the center is shifting more and more and more to the right. And what I am concerned about actually is a split happening within orthodoxy because of our inability to accept each other under this big tent umbrella.
1: Rabbi thoughts. Yeah. This description that my wife gave, I think it's very accurate. Um, I think that there is also some differences between what happens in America. It's slightly different than what happens in Israel or in Europe or in South America. But more or less, my wife's description is very accurate. And the the question then becomes who decides. And like, for example, see, one issue that... I was was raising earlier is that the change needs to be done according to a certain process, a legitimate process. The question is, who decides what is legitimate? So that's the, the third level of problem. We have the first level, which is whether we should have changed. The second level is how you apply change, and then is who decides that the process is the correct process. Ultimately, it's a huge mess. What I can tell you is that coming from where I come, I come, as you know, from a very conservative, ultra-orthodox upbringing, Haredi upbringing. Um, And for many years... um, You know, I left that world and I've always struggled with the definition of modern Orthodox. I don't consider myself modern Orthodox. And over the last few years, I have rejected even the definition of Orthodox for myself. And I have embraced a definition that I am a Sephardi rabbi. That is in short, and if somebody wants the longer version is that I am a Jew that tries to live my life according to Jewish law and fail miserably every day. I wanted to go away from the internal, sometimes petty, political fighting between orthodoxy, ultra-orthodoxy, modern orthodoxy, open orthodoxy, conservative, conservadox, reform, and all of that. And I wanted to step out of it. And since people love definitions, I reclaimed a definition that belongs to me even in my DNA. I'm a Sephardi Jew. That where all of these denominations don't exist in the Sephardi world because Orthodoxy and conservative Judaism and Reform Judaism are products of European Ashkenazi Jewry. And in the Sephardi world, you have, I am a Jew. I am a more traditionalist, less traditionalist, but that's what I am. I am a Sephardi Jew. I think that Carolyn wanted to say something.
2: Yes. I just wanted to um, throw another complication into the picture. Uh, when you talk about who is making these decisions, um, you know, historically it has been our rabbis, our leading rabbis. And this is also part of a systemic problem, especially today where we don't have clear who is the leader, who is leading us. There, There isn't clarity on that, number one. And number two, when we're talking about decisions about inclusivity, when the decision makers themselves are not when when we don't have a system in place to hear from those who aren't included, then then we have we have another problem because we don't have a system in place for our rabbis to listen to those who aren't represented right now in making that decision. And it's, and it's, it's challenging. Now a good rabbi does listen. A good rabbi will have a relationship that enables them to take into account. Unfortunately, because the system is what it is. Number, number one, not all all rabbis are good rabbis. And number two, you know, we have added these extra stringencies that remove women Ultimately, they remove women from having a relationship with their rabbi, you know, for the sake of of modesty. And it creates an additional burden and hurdle on both parties for them to be heard and for them to to listen.
1: I just would like to add one thing. I think that we're touching on so many points that each one is, uh, is an episode on itself and it's a world on itself. They're all good points, but I think that. Uh, we're gonna need many more episodes to uh, to uncover and have a fuller discussion on these topics. Let's talk a little bit about uh, a project that we both uh, are working on. Well,
0: let me let me say before you do that, because I, I think our audience is keen to hear what about the project, and I also want to acknowledge that Rabbi, what you just said I think encapsulates the challenge of life itself, which is that conversations are openings and beginnings and they are by their nature unruly and include uh, hanging threads and open loops and tangled messes of half-baked thoughts. And it's only by continuing to engage uh, over time and perhaps even exceeding the span of, well, certainly exceeding the span of anyone's actual lifetime that uh, these kinds of things play out. So uh, I want to you know, as as your kind of sidekick on the show, want to acknowledge your your willingness to even engage in this format, which by its very nature is not definitive uh, and decenters to a certain degree the authority that you. M- might comfortably have in other circumstances is one of the things that makes these conversations uh, interesting. Uh, and it's been very civilized today. And I'm sure that uh, if the gloves were off, this the, this conversation between the two of you who share so much and yet diverge on so much might be a, a different kind of conversation. But there is something that unites you. There's many things that unite you. But the one that you wanted to talk about today is the prayer book project. So tell us a little bit about that and why this is important to you and what it's like working together on this?
1: So um, ever since I can remember myself, I've always had a problem with prayer. I struggle with prayer. Prayer is not something that comes easy to me, actually comes very difficult for me. Um, Studying comes very easy for me. I can sit and study Jewish text for 15 hours a day and, and want more. Um, and prayer is uh, tough. Uh, it's it's a challenge. And in Judaism, we uh, d- there are three prescribed uh, prayers a day, and those are very challenging for me. And if you go to a service, uh, those services can last even an hour in the morning, and half an hour in the afternoon, and another half an hour in the evening. And sometimes i would sit there like give me a knife and want to cut my veins you know or i would just sit and 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 not know what to do because it's challenging for me and it's challenging for a theological reasons because uh you know as i say i speak to god every day i have not heard an answer yet meaning i don't think that prayer um that the concept of prayer is uh, me communicating to God something that God does not know and then hoping that God will realize that the mistake that he has done based upon my prayer and then change the decision that he or she may have decided for the world. So just to explain what I mean. Uh, if, uh, uh, if there is a drought in Africa and millions of kids are dying for starvation and I pray to God, please God, the Lord of the universe, made it so that there is a storm now in Africa and so that then uh, the drought will stop. I don't think that God will say, oh, look, Rabbi Beyo just made a great point. I haven't thought about it earlier. Let now end the drought in Africa. I don't think it works that way and therefore I'm not communicating anything to God that God does not know already. I do not have the presumption of thinking that I'm going to change God's mind. I do not have the presumption of thinking that I'm going to change the laws of nature either. So if somebody is sick, I don't think that my prayer will make God decide to take away the cancer from a 16-year-old boy and so why prayer? Well, uh, there is a lot of there are different reasons that are given in Judaism why we pray. But ultimately, for me, prayer is an introspection. In fact, even the word in Hebrew is le'it palel, It's reflective. It's an introspection. So some people meditate. And, and in our tradition, we have to pray. We have to say certain words. We have to say certain prayers. But the goal is not to think that I am communicating something to God. The idea is that I am taking the time to think about how I am behaving during my day and, and what steps I need to make in order to behave better. That's one level. And contemporary at the same time is the realization of the awesomeness of this universe that it's so beautiful in all of its intricacies that I am in awe of God. Call it God, call it Allah, call it the Lord, whatever you want to call it. And so the, the idea of the project is to create a prayer book that will allow a person to do that Within 15 minutes, no more high intensity to <laughs> uh,
2: So, so as mentioned, this is one area where, where we agree. Um, I, I have very similar thoughts about prayer. Uh, I, I don't, I, I, my, my, my theology is not that, you know, if, if God is whatever God is, if it's perfect, there is no changing of the mind, you know, praying, you know, if, 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 you know, five people pray that someone's going to get well, oh wait, but no, now there's 10. Oh, oh, that's the magic number. Boom. It's that person's cured. No, I don't, I don't believe that. Um, I believe that prayer is a practice. No, no, not to make light of it, but in a way, the way that one would approach a yoga practice or a meditation practice. Um, it is a, it is something you have to do regularly <clears throat> to achieve the benefits of it. And I think those benefits are simultaneously individual and communal. Individually, as it is a practice, like a yoga or meditative practice, it's, it's that, like, like my husband said, a time of introspection. And it gives you the opportunity to kind of reflect and clarify on yourself, on your behavior, on your actions, to check yourself, if you will. Community wise, it's there is this prescribed, um, there are these prescribed prayers that you are instructed to say, different from a yoga or a meditative practice, where I would say what comes to me or what feels right for me. This is an opportunity to connect back to a people and thousands of years of history. And it's also deeply gratifying. Um, so you're simultaneously pursuing an individual practice to hopefully, I hate to use the word elevate, but to, to to kind of be reflected and on yourself, cleanse yourself, if you will. But it's also connecting you to community. And, and for me personally, why I'm interested in the Sidor project is one, I'm interested in connecting to people who don't normally pray and who feel that the current prayer books offered to them are exclusive and they're exclusionary or who feel that their synagogues are exclusive. I have many memories of when I was first entering Orthodox synagogues of coming in and being completely lost and having absolutely no idea what was going on. Um, and, and even today, while I can follow a service, I very often don't feel that I fit in that space and I prefer to to pray at home. And my hope for this prayer book is that it opens up the opportunity of prayer more easily. It's, it's an easily accessible way for a person at any level or stage of life to feel comfortable taking that introspection in a prescribed communal way
0: how do you approach a project like this? how do you do the work uh, what's the timeline obviously the 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 commitments you both just expressed so eloquently are very inspiring and uplifting and it has to translate into production of uh, a, 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 an object in the world to accomplish those goals. How does it happen
1: so the first stage was to pick those prescribed prayers that uh, we think are the essence of uh, communal and individual prayer. Um, Pick those and that's where we are at the moment. Uh, And uh, the next step will be to add uh, this other
0: layer that we were just discussing. Will that be in the form of commentary, guidance, like notes to the reader? How do you approach that?
1: A little bit of both. It will probably come from myself and Caroline. Uh, maybe we will also quote some other um, thinker, rabbi, philosopher, etc.
2: I would like to, to include quotes from others, you know, standing on the shoulders of giants, if you will, that will, that will help people in their in their introspection, and and if they need some sort of um, emotional uplift, it might provide that.
1: And the way that I see it is that it's going to have a version one and then a version two. I would like uh, to publish the version one, give it in the hands of my community members to use it, and then I would like them, maybe six months later, to put their commentary. So it becomes a communal sidur, a communal prayer book made of different voices, but that they all pray together and all pray as commanded and prescribed by Jewish tradition. I
0: think there's no question that regardless of one's orientation in the world, one's participation in any number of traditions, that a contemplative, meditative, reflexive practice is good for for oneself and for the world. Uh, and I applaud your efforts to bring a unique framework to a very well-established tradition and try to create within it space for people to find themselves and find their way forward together. Thank you. Carolyn Benger is the principal of KB Enterprise, a consulting firm in Phoenix, Arizona, to nonprofit organizations who specialize in social justice. She is also the wife of Rabbi Michael Bayo, who is the host of our show, CEO of the East Valley JCC. Thank you both uh, for participating in this conversation uh, with a certain degree of restraint and yet letting some of your differences shine through. I think it's a real contribution to everyone uh, that you joined us today. Thanks, Carolyn.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It was a
0: pleasure. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe to Conversation with the Rabbi on your favorite podcast app. You can also find the latest episodes online at conversationwiththerabbi.com. For all of us here at PHX.FM, I'm Adrian McIntyre. Thanks for listening, and please join us for the next Conversation with the Rabbi.